Well, the, the cassette tape. You remember these? I think I've got a picture. Ah, relic of the past. In, in the 70s and 80s, these were the mode of listening and recording music. Even in the 90s, uh, I remember uh, well, if you wanted to make a playlist of your favorite tunes, you needed a blank tape to make it happen. So, you know, first this required uh, a, a dual cassette player. So you'd have to have a, a system that had two um, slots. So on one slot, you, you'd have the, the tape you were recording from, and on the other, you'd have the blank tape you were recording to. As one song ended, the, on the blank tape side, you'd hit the pause button. Remember that? Uh, at just the right moment. On, on the other side, you'd hit stop, and either fast forward to the, or rewind to the, to the right song, or you'd take out the tape uh, and grab another tape and fast forward to the right song. Then you'd hit play on, on one side, press the pause button on the other, and repeat this process. It sounds utterly ridiculous. It literally took hours of our lives. I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. It, it, took hours of our lives just to record a playlist. Now we live in the age of Spotify, of Apple Music, of iTunes, which have made the cassette tape totally obsolete. And thank goodness for that. You know, I, I could have thrown uh, pictures of like the, the rotary phone, the Polaroid camera, camera the, the typewriter, to, to make this point, they're all relics. In my lifetime, they've become obsolete, old-fashioned, out of date. Well, we've been going through the, uh, the letter of Colossians, and today we've come to this portion of the letter that includes concepts that seem to many of us like that cassette. They, they seem obsolete, they seem old-fashioned, they seem totally uh, counter to our modern sensibilities. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time and the words of Scripture have become near and dear to you, near and dear to your heart, even for some of you, uh, these concepts still make your skin crawl, still make you uh, uncomfortable. So but before you tune out, I'd just like you to uh, wade in with me. And I'd ask you to track with me and, and see how God desires to change us with these seemingly, seemingly archaic words. So um, we're reading from Colossians 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verses, verse 1. And why don't we stand together as I read this? Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The, the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, if, if you've had very little exposure to the Bible, never mind this, this book of Colossians, it would be understandable if this portion rubbed you the wrong way. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, bond servants or slaves, obey your masters. What's going on here? Sections like these are, are, are going to sound like a, a list of arbit arbitrary you know, rules if, if we don't read them in the context of the letter, if we don't read them in the context of the Bible as a whole. When we read them in the larger context, we begin to see their relevance for life now. So, so what is that context? So, well, from the, the first pages of the Bible, first pages of Genesis to the last pages of Revelation, the story the Bible is telling is this. We live in a very beautiful, yet broken world. And the world is broken because of sin. We're all victims of it. We've all been hurt by, by the, the sin and selfishness of others. But we're all contributors to it as well. We're all participants in it. We all fall short in big ways and small ways of God's design. So this broken world is, is like a fabric, a piece of cloth that has been ripped that's desperately in need of mending. So, you know, God could have ended the, the experiment, the human experiment, long before you and I were alive. But he didn't. Instead, he had mercy. Instead, he had mercy. Colossians 1, um, 13 to 14, a couple chapters ago. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Well, how did he have mercy on us? How did he forgive us? How did he reconcile us back to himself? Answer, <laughs> by becoming a submissive servant. The Lord of the universe, the creator of all that exists, got low. So, so by his choice of coming into the world filled with all kinds of brokenness, Jesus Christ was submitting to the Father's plan. By not giving in to a, a, a thousand temptations and, and instead obeying what the Father said, every moment of every day, Jesus was constantly submitting himself to the Father's will. And that obedience, that submission came in its ultimate form when he submitted to the Father's plan and became obedient to death on the cross. The most powerful act in history was the most submissive 
act. Let me say that again. The most powerful act in history was the most submissive act. But there's more. His death flattened all forms of hierarchy for us in the church. Check out Galatians 3, 26 to 28. This is the same Paul who wrote um, Colossians. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Let those words sink in. As a result of Christ's work on the cross, he, he eliminated all walls. He eliminated all forms of hierarchy in his body, in his church. So, you might be asking, well, how does this jive? How did, how did Galatians 3 jive with Colossians 3? Specifically, to husbands and wives, to slaves and masters. Well, I think this had to be a, a, a question the Colossians were asking. Paul's saying this. Jesus has revolutionized everything. You are free. You are liberated. But if you want to experience true freedom, the true freedom that Christ offers, it's only found when we lovingly serve, when we lovingly submit to one another. Richard Foster, in his book, uh, The Celebration of Discipline, uh, calls this voluntary submission. Voluntary submission. He, he devotes an entire chapter to the discipline of submission. That's a fun one. It is fantastic. He writes, Christ not only died, uh, uh, died across death, he lived across life. And he's actually called us to the same cross life. The same Jesus who, who became a servant of all calls us to the same way of life, the cross life. Let me give you a few examples of, of the, these are all the words of Jesus. Mark 8, 34. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the cross way of life. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the cross way of life. John 13, verses 14 and 15. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. The cross way of life. This was the, the very same Jesus who gave voice to women at a time when they were considered second-class citizens. This is the very same Jesus who got angry with his disciples for not allowing the kids to come to him. 
Instead, he welcomed them. He made an, made an object lesson out of them for his disciples. This is the same Jesus who could have easily called down a legion of angels to serve him in his time of need, and instead he chose the cross way of life. He chose the cross way of death by submitting himself to the Lord, by serving us, by submitting us to, to us. So this is why this section of Colossians is in here. Uh, for Christians, for Christians, not people outside the church, this is a word for Christians who have been liberated by the work of Christ, who have been raised with Christ. Paul's teasing out what it looks like to enjoy our freedom. And he's saying in this section, it all starts at home. It all starts at home. When you, when you and I look at this passage in, in Colossians, our eye is, is instantly drawn to the less dominant ones in these relationships. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Uh, slaves, obey your masters. But here's the revolutionary part we need to see. Paul's writing to these wives, children, slaves as free people. He, in other words, he's not contradicting what he wrote in Galatians 3. How, how the cross flattened all forms of hierarchy. He's being very consistent. They're all beloved sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Therefore, he's, a, he's addressing them, he's addressing us as, as people who had a choice as to how they might live. In, in the first century, the, the, the fact that Paul would even assume as much would have been absolutely revolutionary. But what's even more revolutionary than that is how he addresses the dominant ones. Husbands, fathers, masters. For a husband, a father, a master living in the first century, Paul's words would have been much weightier than his words to wives, children, slaves. Husbands, love your wives. There's a, uh, a parallel passage in, in, in Ephesians 5, which you may be familiar with, that, that kind of expands on this. Verse 25 of that chapter, uh, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. That's the cross way of life. That's serving. That's submitting. He's saying, husbands, your role does not mean you get to wield your authority like a weapon. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't, didn't say you could either. Uh, your role as husbands does not mean you get to make all the decisions does not mean you, you, you treat your home like your kingdom and your recliner like your throne. No, no, no. That may have been who you were, but that's not who you now are. The cross means sacrificing. The cross means doing things for your wife that are, are undesirable, uncomfortable, sacrificial, 
The cross means sacrificing um, by, by listening, by sharing in the, in the decision-making, by, by allowing her to, to uh, have a stake, have a voice. The cross means getting low. It means get cleaning toilets, washing dishes, fixing leaky faucets, changing diapers, getting meals. The cross means making her comfortable even when, especially when, it makes you uncomfortable. The, the cross means sacrificing what you do with your money, what you do with your time. Kylie and I have been married now for uh, 21 years. It's hard to believe. But even in saying that, I know that that is a fraction uh, compared with some of you. But, it, but it's been enough time so that if you were to ask us, hey, what does submission look like in your marriage? I would say, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and, and there's a reason for that. It, because you shouldn't be able to tell when one is submitting, you, you, and, and you know, one is loving. It, it's a dance, right? There have been many times when, when, when Kylie has felt very strongly about, uh, um, about something and, and I've yielded to her. And in doing so, am I abdicating my authority? Or, or am I humbly serving? That's, that is the question. You got me. Other times I've felt strongly about something and she's yielded to me. You know, what, what, what does submission look like? What does loving look like? It's a dance. Uh, it's a dance that... Um, includes many aspects which, hey, uh, where is one taking the lead? I don't know. It, it comes down to the posture you take as a husband and wife. It, it's, it's a way of viewing yourself and others which informs the way we serve, which informs the way we love. That's the cross way of life. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There has been no greater tool for my sanctification, my growth, than parenting. <laughs> Anyone agree with that? Um, when our kids were younger, especially, God had some serious work to do with my anger, uh, which was all rooted in my lust for control and my lust for a good reputation. It stank. It really did. If they behave poorly, what, what are uh, you know, other people going to think? What are they going to conclude about me as their father? I've got to get control. Tighten my grip. I wanted everyone to love me. And sometimes our kids, like every kid, got in the way of that. N.T. Wright um, says about this sentence, Fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Um, the parent's duty is, in effect, to live out the gospel to the, to the child. That is, to assure their child that they are loved and accepted and valued for, for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might become if only they would try a little harder. <laughs> Spot on. 
It involves extending mercy and grace. It involves listening. It involves uh, really listening. (laughs) Giving attention to them. It involves knowing when to speak the truth, how to speak the truth into a situation, um, when to be silent. It involves being generous with them. And and when when I say that, gifts are good, but I'm talking about the most precious resource we have, our time quality time. Both parents get to lovingly serve their kids in this way. It's the cross way of life. Finally, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, We'll unpack this can of worms more in a couple weeks when we talk about the Uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, which was a letter written to a master about his runaway slave, about his escaped slave. How does God feel about slavery? You know, what pictures do we get of slavery from the Bible? I'll I'll say this. Slavery was much different in the Greco-Roman world than in America um, from the 16th through the yeah, 1600s to the 1800s. But it's, but it's always been wrong. Slavery has always been wrong. Jesus was, was uh, asked one time about when it's right or wrong to divorce someone. Matthew uh, 19, verses 4 and following, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send send her away? He said to them, listen to this, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to, to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Same with slavery. From the beginning, it was not so. It's against God's purpose. It's against God's design. But on this side of Christ's return, God tolerates, has a certain tolerance level for sin. He has a certain tolerance level for sinful systems like slavery. The existence of sinful systems does not mean that he's put his stamp of approval on them. He hates sin. He hates sinful systems. And there is a day coming when when he will return and make everything right and make everything new and make everything just. In the meantime, for Paul, situated in the first century, he says to to, to Christian masters, you are to treat the ones serving you justly and fairly knowing that we all serve the master of masters says the same thing to to slaves work hard for the lord he is our ultimate master the cross way of life because at the end of the day we are all wives we are all a part of 
the bride of Christ. We are all children of God. We are all slaves of him. Imagine, imagine just for a moment, um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet on the night before he was to go to the cross. Imagine his posture bending down, getting low, um, being utterly humiliated, taking a, a very humiliating position, showing them and us what the cross way of life looks like. It looks like derobing, getting low, and washing parts that you never desire to serve, never desire to wash. So a few questions for you as, as we close that gets this posture of serving um, and, and sort of bumps up against our sinful selfishness. Number one, what, what areas of life must you get your own way in? Now, do you feel you, you must be respected, must be treated in a particular way? What happens when you don't get the, that love and don't get that respect you think you deserve? But more importantly, when's the last time you consciously practiced serving consciously practice, I am going to submit to this person. What did that look like? What, what was God teaching you in that particular moment? The practice of submission, the discipline of submission is key to our freedom. It really is. It frees us. It releases us. Uh, Richard Foster, I'll close with this. He says, um, in submission, we are at last free to value other people. Their dreams and plans become more, imp more important to us. We've entered in, into a new, wonderful, glorious freedom, the freedom to give up our own rights for the good of others. For the first time, we can love people unconditionally. We've given up the right to demand that they return our love. No longer do we feel that we have to be treated in a certain way. We rejoice in their successes. We feel genuine sorrow in their failures. We discover that it is far better to serve our neighbor than to have our own way. Let's pray.